Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. And so I am very proud of, of being in a, in a position of being able to talk about something that I believe people should know about, that, that mm. genuinely believe strongly that this is something that everybody should know exists, even if they never take part in it at any point in their lives, just know that this is an option because most people don't realize it. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Bill Neville. And Bill joined the Entrust Group over 10 years ago, and he's held several positions, including being the manager of operations for the company's franchise program, managing the compliance and internal audit departments. And he's currently the business development manager for Entrust's San Francisco Bay Area office. Bill actively takes pride in the and Bill actively takes pride in the company's growth and success. So, Bill, thank you for being here today and joining us. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, before before we dig into everything today, just you know, expand on that. Tell people who you are and and where you came from and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I had a um, I had I had a pretty um, varied background um, prior to Entrust. That was just I worked in um, I started off working for an oil company, um, and I did everything from from financial analysis to managing truck drivers and. Then I went into this uh, career, what's called recovery auditing, and um, and then I kind of jumped around a little bit, took a, a stab at being a, uh, a financial advisor briefly, and eventually I answered that on LinkedIn. It was a, a kind of obscure ad um, that, uh, but it 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 had a, it required a varied background that I had a varied background, and then ended up being Entrust, and I didn't have any knowledge or. In, or awareness of self-directed retirement accounts prior to that time, but the position was the manager of franchise operations position. And the Entrust at the time um, not only had the Entrust group that was a custodian record keeper of retirement accounts, but the owner of our company had also um, had been giving out licensing agreements for other business owners to start their own um, self-directed retirement account companies that were operating under name so he essentially helped them get into the industry and they were they were licensing agreements under the untrust name but he had uh, his lawyer take a look at these agreements this was you know 15 20 years ago and uh, he was inadvertently running a franchise program and so um, so it became official where we had franchise agreements with a bunch of different companies who were were called entrust this and entrust that and they were in other parts of the country. And they were operating as their own companies, but they were using our back office support and our custodial services and various things. And then they were paying us a franchise fee. And about six or so months into my position with the company, the owner of the company decided he didn't want to have the franchise program anymore. So he sold them their franchise agreement. So they bought out their franchise agreements. And so if you don't have a franchise program anymore, you don't need to manage your franchise operations. So I, I moved into the position of, of compliance and internal audit, which were two things I hadn't actually done in my career. Um, although again, I had a background that 
led to the expectation that I'd be able to pick it up quickly. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. I wasn't crazy about, about, like I loved the company and what we did, the service we provided, that specific position I wasn't really too into. It was very, um, very, very back office kind of thing. And I'm a more sort of um, external front-facing person. And so the position of business development manager had opened up and I expressed an interest in, in it. And, and so that's when I moved into this. And it, it's definitely been the right fit. It, it's a uh, it's, it's hopefully the last position I ever hold in my career. I hope to retire in this position. I really enjoy what I do. Well, that's awesome. You, you moved around a few times, but you found the place that that's the right fit for you. I did. Yep. So let, let's um, just step back for a moment. Tell us what in, in, in trust is and, and what you guys do. Yep. Um, so we are a custodian and record keeper of what are called self-directed retirement accounts. So before I talk about what we do, I'm going to talk about, about what we're not. So when it comes to retirement accounts, IRAs or 401ks, those require you to have those accounts. You re it requires a custodian, which is a financial services company. Usually for most people, it's a bank or a brokerage firm who acts as the custodian of your retirement account. Um, but there and and those banks or brokerage firms typically limit their investors to investing in publicly traded stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And so, since most people who have a retirement account, that's their custodian. Again, Merrill Lynch, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, companies like that. Most people think that the only thing you're allowed to invest in inside a retirement account are stocks, bonds, and mutual funds because that's what their custodian tells them they can invest in. But reality. The IRS says you can invest in almost anything you want inside a retirement account, but you have to have your account with a custodian who is willing to process and hold whatever those other investments you want to make. Investments like real estate, precious metals, private placements, LLC, promissory notes, tax liens, trustees. I mean, I could go on and on, right? So that's where Entrust comes in. So we have the Entrust Trust Company. So we're a financial institution, the trust company that acts as custodian, and then the Entrust Group provides all the record-keeping services on behalf of the Entrust Trust Company. So Entrust is a, like just calling both companies Entrust, is the custodian and record-keeper. Just like Fidelity and Merrill Lynch and Charles Schwab are a custodian and record-keeper of your retirement account, but Fidelity and Merrill Lynch and Charles Schwab and all those companies they also will advise you. If you want to invest in something, you will talk to them you may you know, talk about what your risk tolerance is, what your age is, what your goals are, and then they'll recommend investments to you. But those investments are going to be limited into the equities, publicly traded stocks, bonds, mutual funds market. Where in our case, we're not an advisor. We don't give any advice. We don't do any due diligence on the investments you want to make. However, if you want to invest in what we call a non-traditional investment, anything other than a stock bond or mutual fund, we will process and hold that investment. We'll, we'll act as custodian. We do all the annual reporting to the IRS is required. You have online access to your account. You get all the same custodial and record keeping services that you get from a Fidelity, Merrill Lynch, Charles Schwab, companies like that. What you, again, you don't get from us is the advisory services. And we also don't limit you to what investments you wanna make. As long as the investment that you wanna make is allowed by the Internal Revenue Code, and we'll get into a little more details about some of the restrictions associated with that. But as long as it's not prohibited by the Internal Revenue Code, we'll process and hold that investment on behalf of your retirement account. So the investment, let's say you want to buy an, uh, a property or you want to invest in a syndication, that investment's held inside the retirement account. So it's tax, it's tax sheltered by the fact that the investment is owned by the retirement account, just like that investment in Apple stock that you hold in your IRA is tax sheltered and it only becomes taxable when you start taking withdrawals from it. So the definition of a self-directed retirement account, self-directed being in quotes, means you still have to establish a type of account with us. You still establish a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA or a SEP IRA or a 401k, but the account is by definition self-directed because we're a self-directed custodian. Like if you got to open an account with us, you're not going to see an option that says, you know, I'm going to see like traditional IRA, Roth IRA, self-directed IRA. Any account you establish with us is self-directed because we're that type of custodian. 
Same as a traditional IRA, Roth IRA, 401k that you have with the other custodians, all the tax rules, contribution limits, all those rules remain the same. The only difference, again, is the, the, the advisory services that we don't provide, but the ability to invest in non-traditional investments, like syndications, like, like passive real estate investments. Right. So to make sure I understand, there's, uh, there's actually no difference in, in the, the type of account that's being created. It's more of the custodian and the custodian's, uh, I guess, like willingness or ability to allow folks to invest in, in a broader scope of things versus the custodian exactly. just, just limiting it to, to uh, like you said, bonds, stocks, mutual funds, kind of traditional things. But the, the account type is really the same. So when you say self-directed, it really just has to do with the custodian, not the it, type of account. It does. Yeah. Actually, the way I usually phrase it with people is self-direction is self-directed is a description of the service we provide as opposed to a description of the type of account. We're a self-directed custodian. Self-directed, the definition of self-directed is, um, is that you make all your own investment decisions. We don't advise or do any due diligence, and you can invest in non-traditional investments. So occasionally you'll see advertisements for some of those brokerage firms where they say, you know, you can have a self-directed IRA with them, which means that you're going to pick your own stocks and mutual funds, and they're not going to advise you. But it's not truly self-directed if they don't let you invest in, let's say, real estate. Right. Because they're limiting what investments like how truly self-directed is if they're saying, well, there are certain investments where, that we're not willing to hold. It's not a self-directed IRA. So that's to me, that's false advertising. Yeah, it seems limiting. So why why do most custodians then or which I guess I, mean, I think about them as like brokerage firms, but they are custodians in this way. Why? Why do they limit you to stocks, bonds, mutual funds? Why don't they allow you to invest in everything? Well, I mean, it's their business model. Um, and I would say the reason why that's their business model largely comes down to the advisory services, right? So because they, they promote themselves as advisors and fiduciaries, if you want to invest in, you know, let's say a, a, a syndication or some privately held fund or something like that, their role, their, their role is, as a fiduciary and as an advisor would basically um, compel them to now have to go due diligence, do due diligence on that investment. Right? They would have to go and research and then come back to you and say, yeah, like we recommend or we recommend you don't make that investment. Whereas we simply say that's not a rule that we're going to take. If you want to invest in something, that research and due diligence is entirely on your shoulders. And if you come and instruct us to make that investment, we're not going to check on whether it's a good investment. We're not going to qualify. We're simply going to process the investment at your instruction, as long as it's not an obvious prohibited transaction. There are certain types of transactions that, are, that deal with what's called self-dealing that's considered prohibited. And so if you bring us a, a transaction that, that we look at and go, no, you can't do this. The, the Internal Revenue Code doesn't allow it because it violates the prohibited transaction rules, then we wouldn't process that. But we're never going to refuse a transaction because, because we've done research on it and come to the conclusion it's a bad investment. Like, we wouldn't do that. Whereas those firms, they have advisors that will come back and say, I recommend you don't do this investment. It's a bad investment. And they may very well, like, refuse to do it. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not really sure. But, um, but I, I would say that's probably the reason is because it would take on they would take on have to take on responsibilities of doing the research and due diligence on those investments. Yeah. You don't think it has anything to do with them getting fees for the, the things? For sure. Yeah, no, it definitely. It, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like they I mean, they you know, they have agreements with fund companies and things like that where they've got fees that that's part of their again. When I said originally, it's not part of their business model Business model. Yeah, yeah. Their, their business nice model is based that. on. Yeah, they, they have agreements with Putnam and various fund companies that pay them, uh, you know, pay them fees to, to promote and market their their funds for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that because I never understood really the difference of, of why, you know, why one company allows it and, and the other doesn't. So I think that's very clear. Let's, uh, let, let's focus now on what I want to talk about is, so say, you know, there's an investor out there, probably a lot of listeners of this show, and, and they want to invest in, in passive real estate, or they want to invest passively in real estate, right? Mm -hmm. Um or hell, they want to buy their own property. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, 
but they want to do it through their IRA. So yeah. if, if they're, you know, and most people, right, have their, or they have their 401ks, they have it through their, their employer, probably most people, right? Not even an nope. IRA. So, right. so how does somebody take it from the 401k with their, with their employer, and maybe it can't even be a current employer. I mean, you tell me yeah. and then get, right. get into and trust and then get into an investment. How does somebody go, go through that process? Yeah. Um, so we're a custodian, so it's just a matter of moving money from one custodian to another. So if they currently have money in an IRA or a 401k, they would open an IRA with Entrust and they would transfer a rollover the money from their current custodian to their account with Entrust. Um, so you don't have to roll all the money over. You're allowed to have retirement accounts with multiple different custodians. We have plenty of people who decide they want to carve out a portion of their money from their current 401k to invest in a piece of real estate or a syndication. And so they, they roll over or transfer, you know, $100,000 out of a $500,000, you know, account or something like that, right? Um, now, you did bring up something I want to touch on, which is the difference between rolling over from a 401k from a company that you used to work for versus a company that you currently work for. If you have an old 401k for, you know, that you don't work for the company anymore, then you can roll that over to an IRA, no problem. If it's a 401k for a company that you currently work for, some plans allow for it, some plans do not allow for you to roll over outside of that. And now if you reach age 59 and a half, you can roll over. But if you're under 59 and a half and you're still working for that company, you're, the term is covered by that 401k plan, which means that you can only roll over from that 401k to an IRA with a different custodian if the plan allows for it. And specifically, the, what the plan has to allow for is what's called an in-service distribution or an in-service withdrawal. Um, so anybody listening, if you're considering something like that and you have a lot of money and you're currently working for a company, you have a lot of money with your 401k plan, and you're thinking about you're wanting to do is the first thing you're going to need to do is contact your plan provider or contact your benefits administrator and find out if the plan allows for that plan find out if the plan allows for an in-service withdrawal so you can roll that over to a different custodian um, again if you if you're over if you're 59 and a half or older then then you'll be able to if you're under that you have to find out if the plan allows for it some companies plan allow for it particularly smaller companies um, if you're working for a bigger company, it's it's probably unlikely that the, the company's plan is going to allow for it, but it never hurts to ask. I mean, if it does, then you got to find out how much because you're not going to be able to roll over. There, there's going to be limitations on the amount that you can roll over. Um, but that's it's really as simple as that. Open an IRA with us, which takes maybe 10 minutes through, through our online portal. Transfer, if it's coming from an IRA, it's a transfer. If it's coming from 401k, it's a rollover. Um, so there's very specific language. Those are two different um, transactional processes that end up the same way, but there's a small difference between the two. Transfer a roll over the money to Entrust, and then you instruct us to make the investment you want to make. And here's the key. That investment then is not held in your personal name. It's held in the name of your IRA. So let's say you're investing in a, in a, in a syndication, and they're putting together a, a subscription agreement or or it's going, you're going to get listed as a member through the LLC operating agreement, whatever it is. Like if Kent, if you had an IRA with us and you were making the investment through your retirement account with Entrust, the name of the investor on that purchase agreement. So let's say it's a, an actual property. You've got a contract, you've got closing documents, ultimately title is held in the name of, with us, the Entrust group, FBO, which stands for for benefit of the interest group, FBO, Kent Ritter, IRA number, whatever your account number ends up being. So mm -hmm. Kent, if you have a, you know, if you have a syndication and you're bringing in investors and somebody wants to invest in their IRA and it's with interest on your agreement, on your contract that you provide to that investor, it reads exactly the same. Everything is exactly the same as a contract with somebody who's investing in their personal name except for the name of the investor isn't in their personal name. Again, it's in the name of the IRA, the Untrust Group, FBO, your name and account number. And your, so your IRA has its own name. It has its own tax ID number. Everything's paid, done in the name of the IRA. So when your syndication pays out to the investors, that money doesn't go to the individual. It gets paid directly to the IRA. You send the check or the wire to the Untrust Group, FBO, their name and account number. So an example like holding property, 
like all if you're renting it out, the rental income goes to the IRA, the interest group, FBO, et cetera. If you have expenses like property taxes, insurance, maintenance, things like that, the retirement account pays the expenses because the retirement account owns the property. And since we're the custodian of the retirement account, all that paperwork has to come to us for signature. All of it has to come to us for processing, but it's all done at your instruction. It's all done at the account holder's instruction. So if you're buying a property, you submit the contract to us in the name of the IRA. We review it. We sign it on behalf of the IRA, and then we send the money directly to the seller, directly to escrow, directly to the syndicate or whatever it is. Property taxes, insurance, things like that, if it needs to be paid, you send us the bill and tell us to pay it, and then we send the money directly to the utility bill, the, 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 the county for the, for the property taxes, whatever it is, right? Everything's done in the name of the IRA, processed through the IRA with the custodian processing everything, but at the client's instruction. Yeah, th that makes sense. And, and that just being on the other side of it as somebody that, that runs syndications and getting that paperwork, that's probably the number one mistake I see from yep. folks when they send the yeah, paperwork is. in is they, they send it in, in their, their own name. name and, yep. and then, and then I, I'm usually the one, which is fine. And I explain to them, you know, how it goes and, and kind right. of the differentiation there. And, um, and that it, it doesn't go to their personal bank account and there right. is that separation. I think that's often right. a surprise for people. Yeah. Um, and so I guess that that's a good consideration because if you're, if you're investing for cash flow, um, then you're somewhat limited, right? Unless you are what 59 and a half and you can, you can easily take those distributions. Is, is that correct? Well, you could. I mean, technically, you can take a. I mean, you can take a distribution from your retirement account anytime you want. Just prior to fifty nine and a half, there's a ten percent penalty, on top of whatever tax you have to pay. But there's right. there's nothing that says you can't take a distribution from your retirement account prior to that. You're allowed to, but you're just going to get dinged for a penalty. If you didn't want to pay the ten percent penalty, if you don't want to pay the ten percent penalty, then you have to wait. But I mean, the whole reason for having a retirement account is to grow the retirement account, right? Like we all, right. we, for all of us who have retirement accounts. We want to make investments to grow it as large as we can so that we can retire at whatever point we're comfortable retiring. We don't have to rely on Social Security. We have this income to be able to draw from to be able to live whatever comfortable lives we want to make, right? So the ultimately, the reason for having a self-directed IRA is simply this. If there's an investment that you want to make to grow your retirement account that you think is going to grow your retirement account better than this other investment that you could possibly make, and that, that investment happens to fall under the non-traditional umbrella, something other than a stock bond or mutual fund, then it requires you to have a self-directed custodian to process that investment, right? So that's what I tell people when, you know, when it comes down to making a decision of whether or not to establish a self-directed IRA is simply this. What do you want in, what do you think is going to grow your retirement account? Like, do you think that that property or that syndication is going to grow your retirement account better than that mutual fund. Or in addition to that mutual fund, they're not mutually exclusive. There's nothing that says you can't hold that mutual fund while also carving out a piece and holding that property or investing in that syndication. You can hold multiple right. different investments. A self-directed IRA gives you more flexibility to branch out from being just in the, in the stock bond mutual fund market, right? So the whole point of investing in a retirement account is to have all that income be tax sheltered inside the retirement account. So a rental property that's generating great cash flow, all that cash flow, cash flow is going into the retirement account for your eventual use later on when you need to draw it to be able to live on. And there are people who are retired who are having their rental income that they're actually taking out on a monthly basis as their income to live on. But the key is, is that they can't just have the rent income go directly to them. It has to flow through the proper procedure, which is from the, from the renter to the IRA, then you withdraw from the IRA. If you yeah. don't do it that way, then you're at risk of creating a prohibited transaction, which puts your IRA at risk of being disqualified. So it's important to do that from a, from a it's a proper accounting uh, process because we have to report to the IRS what we distributed to you. Right. And so we need the money to come to the IRA so we can distribute it to you and then report that through a form 1090, you know, when we send the 1099 sure. at the end of the year. 
Sure. That, no, that makes sense, Bill. And I'm glad you're here to talk about this because I don't think a lot of people are aware of self-directed IRAs. No, I, mean, I think, I think it's still a pretty niche market, right? I mean, do you, yeah. I don't know if you guys have any like stats on that of like how many people have self-directed IRAs versus like the global yeah. retirement account industry, but I bet it's pretty small. It's like 3%. Yeah. And yeah. 3% is actually up from when I started from like, that's like tripled in size from when I started, you know, like yeah. 10 years ago when, when we used to quote it at 1%. So it's, yeah, you know, articles like what happened with Peter Thiel and him growing his Roth IRA to huge numbers by investing alternative. I mean, he essentially had a self-directed retirement account. Like some of that has brought some knowledge to it. When the real estate market dropped dramatically about, you know, 10 or so years ago, um, there was some more interest in self-directed IRAs because people were like, real estate had dropped. So people were jumping in to invest while the market was kind of low. So there was growth that happened. There were a few more articles and things like that. But you're right. I mean, we've been as a business for over 40 years. And so this is not a new thing. Ever since ERISA went into effect in the mid-1970s, you've always been allowed to invest in non-traditional assets. You've always needed a custodian and, you know, and trust got in the market pretty early in terms of providing those custodial services. But I mean, you're largely right. Most people who have gotten a retirement account, they got into it through the company that they started working for coming out of, you know, college or high school or, you know, graduate school or whatever. And that company provided a 401k plan. And that 401k plan was, was administered by the Merrill Lynch's and Charles Schwab's of the world, these, these, these brokerage firms, and they were given this list of mutual funds and said, here, you can choose from this funds. And, and if you're this age, then, you know, you might want to choose from this group and be more aggressive. If you're this age, you might want to choose from this group, but it's always been those funds or, you know, you can buy the company stock or whatever, but they've never gone, you know, you're not going to get a, I mean, I'm not harping on the brokerage firms, right? Like by, when I mention names, it's just to, because people are familiar with the names. But you're, you're probably not going to get anybody from Merrill Lynch where you call them up and say, hey, what can I invest in my retirement account that's going to say, oh, well, you can invest in real estate, but you'd have to go to somebody other than us, right? They're not going to say that. They're going to yeah. tell them, here's the funds. You can invest from these funds. And so people think that's the only thing they're allowed to invest in. Plus, you also, right. to honestly, to add on, I mean, the, the number of people who are actually want to take the time and effort to do their own research and do their own due diligence and who are watching your podcast and going on bigger pockets and doing some of these things to educate themselves about real estate and syndications and notes and, and tax liens and all these different you know, types of investments is already going to narrow the list, right? Like a lot of people yeah. just want to have that advisor that says, here, I, I've done the research for you. These are what I recommend for you. And people go, great. Sounds good to me. I'm going to go, you know, do my job and raise my kids and pay my mortgage and not worry about stuff like that. So you're yeah. always going to have a sort of somewhat limited um, uh, choice of people who are going to open self-directed IRAs. Because again, the requirement that, that they're responsible for their own due diligence. Yeah, which to me is just kind of mind boggling. It's like, to me, that seems one of the most important things you'd want to focus on is your, you know, your retirement, your nest egg, your legacy that, that you're going to leave your future generations and, and to put that on autopilot and have that be the thing that you don't want to want to take ownership of. I know it's the just the general kind of uh, reality of things, but to me, it just seems totally backwards. If there's anything that you would want to control, it'd be, you know, how you're doing wealth and take and and be able to take control of that. And so, I mean, I think the SDIRA or, or, you know, just the IRA is being able to invest in anything with the right custodian is a great way for people to do that because, you know, there's not, most people don't have a hundred thousand dollars in cash just sitting around, but no. they probably have built up something like that in their, in their IRAs. And, and, you know, something I talk about a lot with folks and what I want people to hear is like most people's, exposure to real estate in, in their portfolio is zero, right? Most people have, have zero real estate. Well, you start to homes, look at, right? Yeah, they're, when, they're when, you're, when you're at home, which is, an, which is not an investment, right? It's, I mean, you're, they're primary, their own home. So, but when you, when you start to look at the people, the richest people in the world, and, and even going back through history, I mean, all of them, 
all of them have some, some allocation of real estate. And I mean, I think the average allocation is somewhere between like around 20 to even up to 40%. And so I always challenge people with just look, if it works for the richest people in the world, you know, do you think it'll probably work for you? And, and so I just push everybody, like, you don't have to go all into real estate, but, but think about it as a good diversification strategy. And, 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 you know, it's always good to have things that are not, not correlated to the rest of the stock market so that when everything goes down, everything goes down. Yeah. And so, so I think it's a great option. I think it opens up a lot of doors for people. I hope more people learn about it. So I'm glad you're here today to, to talk through it. Uh, I do want to cover a couple of points. I think we hit on most of the things I wanted to talk through, but uh, just the differences on investing through your, your IRA versus cash. I mean, it really just sounds like it's the front end paperwork and, and then where the funds flow, right? Are there any other differences? Well, it has to be for investment purposes only, right? So, so when you use your retirement account, um, and I mentioned this earlier, there are what's, what's called prohibited transactions, which largely evolves around self-dealing. So specifically when it comes to, to real estate, um, there are certain people that are considered per, uh, disqualified persons that can't ever use the property for personal use or put any um, sweat equity, physical labor into the property. So um, so you can't use a, your IRA to buy property that you're planning on using as a vacation home or second home or obviously a primary residence. So, so yourself, the account holder, your spouse, your ancestors, so parents, grandparents, your lineal descendants, so children, grandchildren, and spouses of lineal descendants are all considered disqualified persons to your IRA. So what that means when it comes to real estate is none of those people can ever stay in a property that's owned by your IRA. None of those people can ever use the property or um, put any like sweat equity, physical labor into the property. Also, your IRA can't buy a property from a disqualified person. So, for example, if you have your parents have a property um, or have or you currently already own a, 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 um, a rental property, right, a, an investment property, and you decide I want to get that in my IRA, you can't. You can't just take your IRA and, and buy it from yourself, nor can you just simply take the property and place it into your IRA. Your IRA has to take cash and buy the property, and it can't buy a property from a disqualified person. So you, your, your ancestors, lineal descendants are all disqualified persons. Um, also, your IRA can't sell a property to a disqualified person. So let's say your IRA owns a property, and you decide you want to own it personally. You can't buy it from your IRA. You can't take cash and buy from your IRA. You can take it as a distribution. So if you own a property in your IRA, you want to live in it, you have to take it as a distribution, then you can move into it. So that's the big thing to understand as opposed to, to you know, using cash is that, you know, that, that like if you buy a, a, a second property using personal funds, you can go stay in it anytime you want. You use a vacation home or anything like that. With an IRA, you're, you're forbidden from doing that. Um, gotcha. There was another point that I wanted to make with that, but I'm, I'm drawing a blank at this exact second. That's all right. It'll come back to you. Yeah, it will. How about, um, you know, I think another thing that often surprises people are, you know, there, there could be tax implications based on the type of thing that you invest in, right? Um, if you're investing through your, your IRA, like a UBIT tax, UBIT, for example, yeah. can you like... Can you just expand on that? Tell people what, what that is and, and, yeah. and in which instances that, that comes into play. Yeah. Um, UBIT stands for unrelated business income tax. And then there's this other side of the same coin, which they work similar to each other, but for differing reasons is unrelated debt financed income tax. Um, so UBIT is essentially if you're using your IRA to run a business. So let's say you, you take your IRA and you buy a franchise, just as an example and your IRA owns the franchise, your IRA is paying the employees, your IRA is receiving the income, your IRA is going to be responsible for paying unrelated business income tax. And, and essentially what that says is that, is that you're using the IRA for other than the intended purpose of the IRA, which the intended purpose of the IRA is for investment purposes to grow the retirement account, not necessarily to run a business. But what, you're, what we're talking about typically with real estate is UDFI, unrelated debt finance income tax. Again, they're opposite sides of the same coin, but they essentially come to the same point, which is that your IRA is going to have to pay a tax, which a tax is, in this case, is just an expense. Like if your IRA owns a property, it's going to have to pay property taxes. It's going to have to pay maintenance. 
It's going to have to pay you know, utility bills potentially. If your IRA uses leverage, in other words, if your IRA borrows money and your IRA is allowed to borrow money to buy a property, if there are, there are financial institutions out there that will lend money to your IRA to buy a property, then it's going to pay what's called unrelated debt financed income tax. Now I'm gonna explain how that works. Let's say for example, you have an IRA worth $100,000 and you wanna buy a property worth $200,000. So your IRA puts up the 100,000, borrows the other 100,000. So your IRA came up with 50% and borrowed the other 50%. Let's say at the end of the year, your IRA earned, just to throw out a figure, $10,000 in income that year. The IRS looks at that and says, okay, well of that $10,000, 50% of that was earned by $100,000 that you paid from the IRA, but the other $5,000 was earned by the $100,000 that was borrowed. That $100,000 that was borrowed is not tax sheltered because it came from outside the IRA. So what that means is that 5,000 of that $10,000 of, of income that was earned is subject to unrelated debt finance income tax. So there is a tax table similar to our income tax that's graduated, which means that if it earns from this dollar amount to this dollar amount, it has to pay 12%. And then if it burns from this month to this month, then that amount has to pay 18% from this amount. And it's, it's based on trust tables. It's, it's a little different than our income tax tables. There's a trust table. Um, so your IRA, again, similar to like if your IRA owns a property, it has to pay property tax. If your IRA has borrowed money, then potentially, if your IRA has income, it's going to have to pay based on the percentage of income that was earned from non-IRA money or the borrowed money. Now that percentage drops each year, right? Like as you pay the loan back, then that 50% maybe after the first year is now down to 45%. So at the end of the second year, it's going to pay based on 45% because you've been paying part of the part of the, the principal back from your IRA, right? So that, that percentage can go down. Now, where that applies in syndications is similar if the syndication is borrowing money. So you've got a syndication, you're raising a million dollars because you're going to invest in some large you know, apartment complex and you're borrowing the other million dollars. It's the same concept. It's 50%, right? So at the end of the year, if that IRA earned $10,000 in syndication money, but that syndication borrowed 50% to pay the, the IRS looks at it the same way. 50% of that money came from, from leveraged money, which means that that specific IRA is going to have to pay UDFI based on the leverage of what the syndication had. Gotcha. And, and just to be clear, that tax that has to be paid comes from the IRA. So it comes the IRA from the funds in the IRA. Gotcha. Correct. So, so there's a Form 990T that has to be completed and filed in the name of the IRA, which means the account holder. So NTRUST is not responsible for calculating and coming up with UDFI. It's up to the account holder to know that their account has to pay that, complete the Form 990T, send it to NTRUST with the instructions to pay the UDFI. So we sign the 990T on behalf of the IRA and we send the money from the retirement account to, to the IRS to pay the bill. But it's all done at the client's instructions. We don't, we're not keeping a record because we don't necessarily, like, we don't know, like, with the, the account holder instructs us to invest in a syndication, it's up to the account holder in the syndicate, this is part of the self-direction part of it, right? Like, we're our role as custodian and record keeper, but it's the account holder's responsibility to, to work with the syndicator to know whether there was, whether there was uh, leverage, how much of that applies to their specific retirement account, and then has to pay that. Gotcha. Now that that really clears it up. Appreciate that. And uh, I mean, I, I think the the takeaway here, the takeaways for me are, you know, there's really no difference between what would be a normal IRA and a self-directed IRA. It's really about who is the custodian for that IRA. It's a simple process to set up. Anybody can do it. Um, and it's it's a great way to to open up funds. Uh, to diversify your investments, right? So, so all your eggs aren't in one basket in stocks or, or mutual funds that are, that are invested in stocks and, and you can start to diversify. So, I mean, I think it makes a ton of sense uh, for folks and uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that it's only 3% of, of the market, but, but hopefully that continues to grow as more people 
uh, you know, listen to this podcast and, and others like it and, and expose themselves to some of these different ideas. So, because you, it's not just real estate, right? It's, I mean, you can invest in gold, you can invest in what crypto, you can invest crypto, in crew, people are oil and crew, gas, cannabis industry. Um, yeah. I mean, private placements, well, a very broad definition of private placements are privately held companies, privately held funds, right? So, in, in, in sort of a broad definition, a syndication is actually a private placement. Um, from from our record keeping standpoint, because they're yeah. usually structured through an LLC, right? Yep. Whereas for That's us, right. real estate is actually holding physical property. But within real estate, I mean, you've got tax liens that are usually, you know, the underlying asset is is a property that if they don't pay the tax lien back, you can take the property. Same thing with um, with uh, trustee investments, which is, you know, when you use your your IRA can be the bank and lend money to borrowers where you hold a deed of trust on the property in the event that they've, um, they uh, uh, renege on the mortgage on, on paying the loan back, you can foreclose on the mortgage just like, or on the, on the property, just like banks do, right? Right. Um, pot, those are very popular investments. Well, th- no, thank you, Bill. I, I appreciate everything you've shared. Before I let you go, I'm going to take you through our keys to success round. There's four questions that I want to ask you. The first one is, uh, if you were, or as a, as a passive investor, if you're going to invest uh, with a deal sponsor uh, mm-hmm. for private placement, what's the one question uh, that you would ask them? I mean, as a self-directed IRA investor, I mean, getting away from like the questions that you want to ask in terms of like what you're ultimately investing in, how are you generating return? You know, like what's mm-hmm. my expected return, which I like, I'm, I'm not getting into that. I'm going to focus strictly on the self-directed IRA aspect of things. For me, I would want to know if the, if the deal sponsor is using leverage, because that's where that whole UBIT UDFI thing that we just talked about comes in. Because mm-hmm. when you're calculating, ultimately when you're calculating your return on investment as an investor, right? You want to back out any potential expenses to get your net, your net return on investment. So if they're telling you that they're going to pay out or it's expected 20% return on investment, but they're using leverage, then you need to come into that and say, well, I'm also going to have to pay UBIT. So that 20% might end up for me being 16%, right? Mm-hmm. Depending upon the dollar amount and, and, and how high of a, of a UDFI you're going to end up having to pay. So so as a self-directed IRA investor, that would be my, my one question I want to know is, are you, know, are you getting all your money just from investors? Or are you going to turn around and also like, are you raising a certain amount and then going to borrow the rest? Yeah. And, and it might still be worth it at that point. If you do the math and you're still oh, yeah, getting no question. You know, some double digit returns, that might, yeah. it might still make sense. No question. I think like, that's where I'm yeah. getting at is that if you, if you, if they're telling you you're going to generate a 10% return, but your UDFI takes that down to 8%, that might not be high enough. But if it's generating 15% and the UDFI is taking you down to 12%, that still might be high enough. Like you, right. you just want to, you just yeah. want to be aware of it to calculate in because ultimately the reason for making an investment is because you want to generate a certain return as compared to what your other opportunities to invest are, like the stock market. Absolutely. But you got to go in eyes wide open. I, that's yes. a great. No, no, all you, yeah, no, ultimately what your net return is going to be a net return includes when, when, you know, when investing in a syndication using your IRA net return is going to be possibly having to pay you. Gotcha. What are you most proud of in your career? Honestly, like I'm, I'm 57 years old, right? I'm, I'm towards the end of, of what's a, a pretty long career. Um, I would say I've been pretty resilient, but I've had some like serious ups and downs. And I, I would say, I guess I'm, I'm most proud of the fact that like at the end of my career, I, I ended up landing in sort of my favorite job I've had. Like, I, and I know that almost sounds cliche, but it's really true. Like the majority of my career, I, I have one, I can look back and say like, there's one other job, which was the recovery auditing position I had that I genuinely liked, I genuinely enjoyed. I would say the rest of my career, like there were things I liked. I mean, I liked the people I worked with. I, you know, I'm, I needed to get paid, like all those types of things. Um, but I'm, I'm, I feel and proud might not be the right word, but I definitely feel um, relieved maybe that I, I at, towards the end of my career, I, I happened to land in something in an industry 
that I genuinely believe people should know about. Mm-hmm. Not that necessarily everybody should do it, right? Because we talked about this. People don't necessarily want to do their own research, do their own due diligence. They'd rather have an advisor. Those people shouldn't have a self-directed IRA unless they have an advisor who's advising them to invest in syndications or something like that. Um, but those people shouldn't necessarily have a self-directed IRA. But I still think that they should know that this exists for the fact that one day they might want to do something like this. And so I'm, I'm, I feel very proud of the fact that I'm in a position where I can I can, I'm not trying to convince people to have a self-directed IRA. Like I, that's not my objective. My objective is simply to help people to know that this exists and to understand how it works and what the rules are. And so I am very proud of, of being in a, in a position of being able to talk about something that I believe people should know about, that, that mm-hmm. genuinely believe strongly that this is something that everybody should know exists, even if they never take part in it at any point in their lives, just know that this is an option because most people don't realize it. Yeah. And we, I can tell your passion comes through. So definitely, no, thanks. definitely can feel that. What's a book that everybody should read? Um, I really like the book um, Sapiens by, um, I don't know how to get, pronounce the guy's name, Uval something. We'll look it's a cool book. It, it basically looks at the history of um, humanity and uh, how we evolved to, to where we are today. And then he ended up writing some books about where things were go- are going next. It's not business. It's not a business-related thing. It was just a book that I found incredibly fascinating. So awesome. I would awesome. recommend that one. No, very good. And then lastly, what is your number one key to success? I mean, it sounds cliche, and it is, I guess, to some extent, but as I mentioned earlier, I had a, you know, I've had a long career of being in positions that were okay. Like I had positions that like I could get up and go to work and they didn't make me, you know, want to not get out of bed. Although I did have a couple of those um, positions that I, I like, I had one position at one point that I actually used to get stomach, like physical pain in my stomach at the idea of going to work, believe it or not. Um, But it, I ended up getting into a position where I just really felt very, again, I feel very strongly about the, the, the industry and, and the service that we provide. So, I mean, if you can, if you can, I used to always consider like athletes and artists, like musicians and people like that. And I still do, to, to be honest, like to have the ultimate jobs because they're getting paid to do things that they would do for free. Right. Mm-hmm. Like people become good at playing basketball because they love playing basketball or people, mm-hmm. you know, become musicians because they liked playing a guitar and they were, you know, good at making music and they end up getting paid for it. I was always like so envious of that. And to some extent, don't get me wrong. If I like if I all of a sudden run the, you know, won a lottery, I wouldn't keep I would retire. Right. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do self-directed. Like I wouldn't go and if I wasn't getting paid for it, go like talk about self-directed IRA. So I'm not quite to the point of where like if professional basketball player still plays basketball after they retire, you know, or football players, um, you know, those guys still. So to me, that's like the ultimate job, but the key to success, I, I really do believe is if you can, if you can land in something that you genuinely like feel it, it's it's very cliche. I realize it's very cliche, but it took mm-hmm. me a long time where I had I held jobs. I continued to stay in jobs because the paycheck, like the paycheck was good. Um, and I, I was working largely for the paycheck. And I eventually got to a point where, you know, the paycheck became less of a focus and much more about like what what satisfied me and what, you know, what I felt good about and, and got very, sure. very lucky that I landed with Entrust Vila. And I'm guessing like in, in your particular instance, it's probably, it seems like something you probably found at a younger age than I did, that you developed a passion for, for real estate investing and have been able to make a career out of it. So good for you. Yeah, um, but I it mean, took me, it took me a little later in life to be able to do it. And I stumbled <laughs> upon it. It wasn't like I like learned about self-directed IRAs and goes, oh my God, I got to work in that. I stumbled upon it and realized, wow, this is such a great thing. Like I'm, I'm but I got a position within the company that enabled me to like, you know, take that and, and impart that upon to others. Like you almost yeah. don't want to get me talking about it like parties and stuff. I have to keep a really close eye on people's, <laughs> like if people like we ask them, what do you do for a living? I'll be like, okay, 
prepare yourself. Like I'll give like a one minute, like I've got like my elevator pitch, like takes 15 seconds to give a real quick. And then I wait to see like, do they ask questions beyond that? Or they just go, okay, cool. Because if they don't ask me anything beyond that, then I shut up. But if they start asking me questions, now you're asking for it because I'll talk and talk and talk about what it is. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we've been we've been forewarned. But uh, no, Bill. In, in all honesty, thank you for uh, for coming on and sharing uh, your wisdom with us and and opening up uh, hopefully uh, a few more folks to the idea of a self directed IRA and the ability to to invest in you know what, whatever they want. And Thanks, that, Ken. That's um, what it's all about. And yeah, if folks want to learn more, uh, you know, about Entrust or about what you were doing, how can they get a hold of you? Um, we go to our website, theentrustgroup.com, and then under contacts, um, if you'll see up at the there's a, a, a the word contacts, be able to click on. And and I'm one of four business development managers with Entrust, so you'd be able to find me on there. Um, but I'll give you my email is b neville. Um, as in my first initial and last name at theentrustgroup.com. And uh, my work number is 510-587-0950. That's our office number and I'm at extension 237. But I encourage you to go to our website. We also have a lot of educational material. We have, we have a, what's called the Learning Center on there. So if you want to learn more about different types of investments, we have a lot of podcasts uh, or webinars that we do on a monthly basis um, that you might be seeing Kent on soon that he and I were talking about a little bit earlier, but uh, I encourage you to go to our website and check things out. Yeah. I'm feeling (laughs) we're going to be able to work that out. Sounds good. All right, Bill. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And with that, we'll wrap things up. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Kat. You too. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.